0: Kia ora, I'm Emile Donovan and today on The Detail Four years ago Dame Patsy Reddy delivered what's known as the speech from the throne This is basically where the Government lays out its agenda for the next term of Parliament and gives it to the Governor-General to read And in 2017 there was an unequivocal line in there There will be no new mines on conservation land No new mines on conservation land Pretty concrete, you'd say, pretty set in stone Naturally, the news polarised. Environmentalists were thrilled. Forest and birds are welcoming the news that the government has put a ban on future mining on conservation land.
1: This is fantastic news. This line in the sand is a great
0: first step. While many who live in mining areas and those representing them Weren't West Coast councils are lobbying the government to exclude the region from its mining ban on conservation land. Everyone wants to see uh, any job opportunity. Jobs in the mining industry are generally very well paid. So, um, you know, they want the doors left open to all these possibilities. But during that 2017 term, nothing happened. There were tensions within the coalition government that meant that we weren't able to make as much progress on that as we would have liked. And Labor's recommitting to its broken promise if it can ditch Winston Peters this time round. Ditch Winston Peters they did, but still, no change. So today on the podcast, what happened to this mining pledge? Is this an industry we can actually afford to get rid of? And we'll tell you about the great red tape stumbling block over land categorisation that's holding all this up. Charlie Mitchell is a national correspondent for Stuff.co.nz who focuses on environmental issues. I began by asking him about the state of mining in Aotearoa today.
2: It absolutely is a thing uh, that that happens here. I think like a lot of people probably think of the uh, Otago goldfields or the Stoic West Coast miners of the early 20th century, but but no, it's very much a a thriving sort of industry here. Uh, Perhaps not as it once was, but there is still a significant mining presence, particularly on the West Coast, um, where you have this sort of high-quality coal that is low in ash and low in sulphur that is valued overseas. So that's really where a lot of the export sort of mining happens. is on the West Coast, but there's also a lot of gold mining still happening in, in the Coromandel, and there's also this sort of low-value coal mining in in Southland and Otago, and a lot of that coal is is used for dairy processing and and heat and and stuff like that.
0: You mentioned that it maybe isn't as flourishing as it once was. Is that the case? Like, is it something that you would describe as like a twilight industry?
2: It's kind of hard to say. I I think there was an expectation that, you know, it would really sort of crash at some point as the sort of rubber hit the road on, on climate change. But I don't think that has really happened to the extent that you would think because, you know, certainly about 10 years ago, it was really at a a high point, uh, I would say, coal mining in particular. There were thousands of jobs and millions and millions of tons of coal being exported every year. But, you know, there's still a a solid industry out there. Stockton Mine is still working. It's still the the biggest mine in the country and it's still – exporting coal i think it exports roughly a million tons of coal every year um it's a two billion dollar industry so it's certainly not dead We can safely say that
0: new zealand hit peak coal production in 2006 we mined more than five and a half million tons that year and exported nearly two and a half million since then production has dropped off we produced three million tons last year and exported just over 1.1 million We actually have vast coal reserves in this country, more than 16 billion tonnes. But most of that is low quality and relatively low value. The really good stuff, the stuff that's in demand, is mainly on the West Coast. We also mine gold here, about $400 million worth a year. It's actually our second biggest goods export to Australia, and it mainly happens in the Coromandel. All of which is to say, while it might be slowly declining... The mining industry is still pretty big. It's worth over $2 billion. It employs around 4,000 people. And according to the industry group Stratera, the average wage is more than 100 grand. That's nearly twice the average wage. A lot of that going to the regions.
2: Particularly the West Coast. Um, I, I mean, if you've ever been to a to port or, or a town like that, you, you can tell, you can see mining everywhere almost everyone will have some sort of connection to the mining industry. Um, but there's also, you know, reasonable little communities out there with a, with a mining presence. I think of Nightcaps in, in Southland is another one, Waihee and the Coromandel, So, yeah, there are these little outposts of mining, I suppose, and they do tend to be in areas where there's not a whole lot of other industry going on, so they're quite valuable jobs in that respect. And they tend to be well-paid, and they don't always require university degrees and higher education and things like that, so you can certainly understand why regions would be connected to their mining industries and want to preserve them as much as possible.
0: But there is an elephant in the room. Mining is bad for the environment isn't it?
2: I guess it depends on on who you would ask. It's certainly the case that mining is bad for the environment when the mining is happening. Uh, If you've ever seen one of those big open cast mines, it's like a big muddy pit in the ground. And if you think of that on conservation land, it's not good for kiwi or, or kaka or snails or anything like that to have this big pit in the ground. But the mining industry has gotten a lot better in terms of remediating the sites it uses so a mine might last a couple of decades and then they'll fill it in they'll put native bush or scrub and, and try to sort of uh, get it back to what it was so it's definitely not the scorched earth type of mining that it used to be but it still has a pretty severe effect on the environment when it's happening and, and that's kind of the issue here because when you have say a uh, a rare snail or a rare frog that only lives in that area, and you mine it, then you know like, w- what do you do?
0: Some Coromandel locals have rallied in support of one of their smallest neighbours. Today, they launched a campaign to stop mining on conservation land, which is also the Archie Frog's cap- habitat. What do we want? No, no mining. There was no sign of the world's most endangered frog, but plenty of placards. The Archie can only be found in three locations in New Zealand. This is one of them. And now mining company Oceana Gold has two drill rigs exploring the area. We're here because of Archie's frog, but we're here for everybody and the whole country and for all land that need to be protected from gold mining. Heading back to the conservation land point that you brought up. And we are going to be talking about mining on conservation land and a pledge to stop that. But maybe a 101 question, first of all, what's conservation land? What does that term actually kind of mean?
2: If you want to zoom sort of right out, it's land that is, um, it's land that is administered by the state and set aside for public use because it has some sort of value. That value might be environmental, might be ecological, recreation, historic, anything like that a lot of that comes under the conservation estate. And so it is a lot of land in New Zealand. It's about a third of the country is in the conservation estate, meaning it is run by DOC for
0: the public purpose. Conservation land also includes something called stewardship land. And this is a very important element of this overall story.
2: So stewardship land is a type of conservation land, but it's quite contentious because it's land that is held by dot as conservation land but it hasn't been allocated a specific status within the hierarchy of conservation land so the hierarchy is you've got right at the top you've got national parks and stuff like that which is the really really high quality conservation land with lots of things that everyone wants to protect then you get to the forestry parks the ecological reserves, scientific reserves, stuff like that, which is sort of middle. Then you get the marginal strips and stuff, which is tends to be lower on the totem pole. Stewardship land tends to be seen by some as lower on that hierarchy.
0: I would allow coal mining or conservation estate in the low level, some of the stewardship land where there aren't the big conservation values.
2: Generally speaking, there is widespread acknowledgement that national parks, stuff like that, that's off the table. That's the case in the law. You cannot mine in a national park for any reason. That's not really the case for most conservation land, though. Most of it is in these lower sort of tiers, what they call non-Schedule 4 land. And stewardship land is part of that. And there's been a lot of advocacy from the pro-development groups that because it hasn't been classified, you don't really know what its conservation values are. So... If you're a developer and you want to build a mine, then
0: stewardship land is is sort of ripe for the picking to some extent. And this is one of the key problems the government has with implementing this ban. In a very oversimplified nutshell, all stewardship land is considered conservation land, but not all of it deserves high-level conservation status. Until the government's categorised it or figured out if stewardship land would come under the mining ban... Nothing can really happen. I asked Charlie why conservation land might be appealing to developers. There is a lot of mineral wealth
2: underneath conservation land. Um, that is just a just a fact of um, having, you know, a lot of those protected areas being those rocky places where minerals tend to be. But a lot of mining actually doesn't take place on conservation land, weirdly enough, um, and it's probably because it has been difficult. You know, there are more hurdles to jump, particularly if you want to make a big open cast mine, which is, tends to be the type of mining that is done in New Zealand at the moment. It is just trickier to get access.
0: Sorry, that's my dog. I love it. <laughs> Wait.
2: Wait. Wait a second. You're up, man. Yeah, sorry. I have two dogs. One is extremely large and one is a puppy. I, I, tend to
0: I love it. And I'm going to keep that in there because it was beautiful. Okay, great. <laughs> um, uh, where was I? Um,
2: yeah, and, and, and yeah, that tends to be just a byproduct of the fact that we tend to do big open cast mines and, and getting permission to do that on conservation land is, is just not something that is really acceptable to anyone these days. Even I think the mining industry would accept that the, the days of big mines on the conservation estate is probably over. So, yeah, I, I think that tends to be the current state of play. Historically, you, you know, there's been enough private land in that areas or in those sorts of areas to, to sort of mine around the conservation estate. But, um, yeah, these days it's, it's very little mining, um, or, at speaking, happens on the conservation estate.
0: Okay. And so this brings us to 2017. The government made a, a pledge, a promise? I don't really know what we describe it as. Tell me about it. What, what did they promise in 2017?
2: Yeah, so this kind of comes back to what they call the speech from the throne, which is this thing that happens every year or every term when a new government comes in and they open parliament and the governor-general reads out this very long speech where they lay out the government's agenda. And in 2017, the labor the government at the time has its speech from the throne and it contains a promise that there will be
0: no new mines on conservation land.
2: And it was not ambiguous at all. Um, there was no equivocation. And so people welcomed that, particularly conservation groups that have been advocating for that policy for a very long time. And then just nothing happens.
0: And to be clear, when Charlie says the policy hasn't been advanced, mines on conservation land are still opening. In fact, he reckons at least 30 mining applications have been approved since 2017. Until a ban is in place, the Department of Conservation assesses applications under existing legislation. It's
1: time for them to finish the job, drive a stake through the heart of the gold mining industry on the Coromandel Peninsula.
2: Quite heartbreaking, really. It's been four or five years since then, absolutely nothing has happened with that policy. Why not? That's a very good question. Myself and and others have been asking over the years about what happened to to this policy. In 2018, the government announced it would be releasing a discussion document about the policy and there was some work at DOC and MB, but it's never, never appeared. As much as we ask, we're just told that it's not ready, it's not going to happen yet. It's probably an open secret. It it never really went anywhere because New Zealand First at the time was a part of the coalition and essentially had a veto on on Cabinet decisions like that. And so the discussion document probably just ended up on
0: Winston Peters' desk somewhere and and never saw the light of day. But New Zealand First is no longer a part of the government. Um, You know, (laughs) like. Labour can do pretty much whatever it wants at this stage, and yet still nothing is, has sort of happened. So what is the inference there that they don't especially want to do this policy?
2: Yeah, I think that's a reasonable inference to, um, to make from that, because, yeah, as you say, nothing's stopping them. There's nothing that would prevent them from putting in place this policy. Um, what they've said more recently is that they want to speed up the process of classifying stewardship land.
0: What happened to Labor's promise of no mining on conservation land? Well, one of the debates that had to be had, of course, is how do you classify stewardship land? In the last term of office, with the three parties we had in power, it wasn't possible to get consensus on how we treated stewardship land. I'm confident we'll be able to work that through in the future. So if you can govern and govern alone, you would be you would reaffirm that promise and actually do it? Yes, but we must work through how we classify stewardship land.
2: And that would help clarify things for, for basically everyone.
0: Until then, in stark contrast to the 2017 promise, mining companies can continue exploring and asking for permission to establish new mines, and ask they have. In 2019, the Australian mining giant Oceana Gold discovered ore deposits at Wharekirao Ponga, near the Martha Mine at Waihi. Since then, it's been exploring the viability of creating a new mine which starts on private land, but would run under some conservation land.
2: We believe it's possible to mine responsibly under conservation land and deliver economic development without compromising our environmental, social and cultural values.
0: Now, Oceana Gold isn't doing anything legally wrong here, but naturally there are lots of people who are against a new mine opening up, especially given the pledge from the government. Morgan Donoghue is one of them. He's the head of an activist group called Ours Not Mines, which wants to stop this development.
1: I grew up in the Coromando. I've spent the first 13 years of my life there. Um, Mum and Dad still live there. Uh, Growing up as a child, it was always about trying to stop mining. It's something that my parents have fought against for more than 40 years. And there are still people from overseas, gold mining companies, wanting to come in and mine uh, our precious um, Coromandel. And I think it's a terrible, terrible plan. Um, I think there's so much uh, that can be done in the Coromandel and so much that you could potentially ruin. It's, you know, obviously there's high rainfall, there's a whole lot of toxic heavy metals. The coromandel's already been dug up once. It doesn't seem like there's a real reason to dig it
0: up a second time. I guess, you know, one of the whys there is money, because it provides, it it creates money, and it provides jobs to people in the area. Um, Yeah, what would you say to to, to that response?
1: I I would say that the jobs is a red herring, I think, They are promising, my understanding, is 300 new jobs. I believe the reality of that is that it's not going to be new jobs. These are jobs that have been lost in Waihee. You can look at Waihee and in the 20 years that Martha Hill Mine has been operating, has Waihee been booming? Is that different to any other town in the Bay of Plenty, Waikato region? It has the same problems. It's not a highly skilled place and yet it comes with so many risks of pollution across sea, fresh water, the land itself will, will never be the same again. It's it comes with way too many risks for no upside. If you were to tell me that, you know, mining gold on the Coromandel, you know, could you know make New Zealand the richest country in the world and end child poverty, and we could, you know, you know, suddenly our CO2 emissions would be way less and we'd be carbon neutral by 2050 or something. Maybe you've got some type of argument, but it's none of that. No no one is claiming that. It's only going to be more CO2, going to be digging up the ground. These aren't long-term sustainable jobs.
0: Does it have to be that extreme, the binary? Someone on the West Coast might say, mining is the reason that people live here, and if there's no mining here, then people on the West Coast don't exist anymore. Mining is a thing that happens in New Zealand, and we might not like it, but it is a part of people's lives and just removing it overnight is a, is a big step to make, you know?
1: Yeah. But I would say, let, let's say removing uh New Zealanders ability to go and get snapper in the Haraki Gulf or in, in, in the, in the other oceans around Coromandel would also be a pretty amazing thing to take away from people overnight, you know? And if, but if you have a, a heavy metal spill into the ocean, just like you, you know, with, let's, pick on something around the same area. The Rena, when it crashed in Tauranga, Mm. no one thought that ship was going to have a massive oil spill into the Bay of Plenty, but it did Mm. just like there's been horrible pollution in the Gulf of Mexico. And these international mining companies have had terrible reputations for terrible things happening. Now, they can never guarantee that that's not going to happen. Now, why would we risk it Um, for a few jobs? It doesn't seem like Jobs is a problem in New Zealand right now. Inflation seems like a problem and earning good money, but, but mining jobs are, are not what everyone needs. We need builders, we need plumbers, we need electricians, even producing jibboard. You know, there's a 10-week turnaround on jib right now. So there are whole lots of industries that we can focus on which don't involve destroying one of the most beautiful places in New Zealand.
0: Everybody knows it's going to be good, to phase out the use of fossil fuels at the same time it's unavoidable that we do still use them and they are still vital to the way that society functions and that is a real tension isn't it that like it's not the kind of thing that you can just do overnight
2: yeah exactly and you you know if you spend a lot of time in climate change discussions and and places like that you you hear a lot about the just transition. And that is this idea that you can't just end mining, that there needs to be some sort of process to gently get yourself down from these industries and make sure that the people involved in them have have somewhere to land and and, and can have meaningful lives. Um, and, and that's sort of the broader tension here, I think, is is what you know, what is being planned for these communities like the West Coast that have long relied on mining. Um, and that may not have this, um, this resource open to them um, in the future, like, like what happens. I don't think the government has really articulated a plan for that. I think of this in a lot of ways a bit like the ban on oil and gas exploration, offshore oil and gas exploration. It, it's sort of in a lot of ways quite similar because that policy I think was welcomed by environmentalists and, and people concerned about the climate. But, you know, it had a reasonably modest impact on our emissions, if, if any at all. Um, and, you know, it sort of served as a, as a statement of, of what the government wanted to do in terms of its environmental policy. It sort of points the way of what the government wants to do, but whether it actually sparks any, any broader policy or any broader action. It's, you know, the term virtue signalling has kind of been polluted in a lot of ways, but in some ways that is the merit of policies like this that don't have perhaps a massive impact, but they do on the margins and they they demonstrate how this government
0: views certain issues. That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansel and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Charlie Mitchell and Morgan Donoghue. Matewa.